Welcome once again to Chill Filtered, the podcast where we drink whiskey so you don't have to. But you probably should, and you probably are at this point, and that's why we love you. So this is a very, very special episode of Chill Filtered. Uh, this is We are on site, on location at Whiskey Del Bach Distillery in uh, Tucson, Arizona. I am stoked because we recently had an episode on the uh, Del Bach Dorado, which we gave very high praise. And so uh, the owner, Stephen Paul, invited us down and uh, we are very excited. Oh, yeah. By the way, this Robbie is not a part of this episode. Sadly, he wasn't able to make it from Boise to uh, Tucson this time around. But I think in the future, we might just very well make this happen again. Uh, But with me today, I have uh, Stephen Paul, the owner of uh, Whiskey Del Bach, and I have the head distiller. I have uh, Veronica Townsend with me. Uh, Stephen, how, how's it going today? Well, you know, good day for you? <laughs> today was a great day, except we had a bunch of breakdowns. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we had a, a hole. I'll, maybe I'll let Veronica talk about this uh-huh. a little more. But yeah, we had a hole in the, in the, in the still. And then we had a, another motor fail. So, it, but we still, you know. Everything every day is a challenge. Yeah, does this this is kind of like the leaks or the the holes? Does that happen often, or is today a really bad day? You take that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I would go. Today's a really bad day. Um, but learning more about copper and learning the lifespan of copper and how like what how to fix it and what happens. But we yeah got the welder in and got it fixed thankfully. Oh wow. Yeah. So you had to like yeah bring someone in. Yeah yeah. How big was the hole? Pinhole. Okay. Yeah but we enough but to... we saw water shoot out. So when we were cleaning, uh-huh. we saw water shoot out. So and that was the still you said. Mm-hmm. So it was like steam potentially flying out. Yeah yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it wasn't yeah. in the pot part, but it was in the vapor vapor yeah. chamber. Oh, yeah. for sure. So it's so probably a bad day for you, Veronica. Yeah, well, but it's that. Friday, so yeah. it's, it's okay. <laughs> That's straight up awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, um, well, so so we're like I said, we're at Whiskey Del Bach Distillery in Tucson, Arizona, uh, where we basically have been trying these single malt uh, like whiskeys, and and Whiskey Del Bach is only single malt and they're one of the only ones in the country that does that uh and that's one of the first questions i wanted to ask at least you for now steven um is why what was the inspiration behind maybe maybe the 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 distillery in general or even just why only single malts i'll let you kind of tell well um so the inspiration was came from um the fact that my wife and i are have always been single malt drinkers. Uh-huh. Um, we actually, we had a long time custom furniture company <clears throat> uh, here in Tucson that specialized in mesquite wood. And I would always take my scraps home to barbecue with. I would always tell my wife, uh, those are our profits going up in smoke. <laughs> and um, one night in 2006, we're drinking single malt scotch and barbecuing. And she uh-huh. goes, why couldn't you dry malt over a mesquite fire instead of a peat fire? Mm-hmm like they do in Scotland. Yeah. So that just captivated me. I just couldn't get it out of my my mind. Um and anyway, there's lots more to the story, but that's how it that's how it all started. That's that's pretty cool. I uh I I've talked before on the dis- I mean the podcast. I almost said the distillery. I've talked before on the podcast where, you know, why don't we try out more things with with smoking and like with uh malting with with smoke? And, uh, you know, you don't typically see that outside of peat, of course, in uh, Scotland. So I, I applaud you. And, and I, 
extra applaud you because honestly, I, I mean this. I'm not just trying to flatter you guys. This is the best American single malt I've ever had. Wow. Um, and for a growing distillery, I think that's uh, pretty darn cool um, that you guys are, you know, putting this stuff out. I, I would, for those listeners out there who are very used to um, either my style or uh, even just Isla Scotch in general, um, those who appreciate my part of the reviews, I'd say this is up there with like Ardbeg. Wow. Um, which, you know, you can't buy a bottle of Ardbeg for, you know, less than, or at least a good bottle of Ardbeg for less than like 80 bucks or something. And remind me, what's the Dorado running for here? It's uh, it's about 54 bucks. <laughs> yeah. On the retail shelf. I'm a huge fan. Huge <laughs> fan. So anyway, uh, Veronica, tell me... Uh, I, I am very interested in this. And even before I got here, I was like, I want to talk to Veronica about what's your background? Like, how did you start here as the head distiller? Yeah. So um, I've been with Delbach for one year um, last week. Uh, but before that, I started distilling um, at a distillery in New Jersey. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, it was a coastal farm distillery. Um, but prior to that, I was in culinary school. No After way. college, yeah. Uh-huh. So culinary school, and I was working as a line cook, and kind of like, what else is there with culinary, and where else can I go with this? And there happened to be a distillery being built out down the street from where I lived. So right time, got in at the right time, um, learned under a master distiller, um, saw the distillery from the build out, put, helped put up the stills, everything. That's so cool. Yeah. So um, started there and worked there for three years. Um, and then the appeal with culinary, which is similar to distilling, was that I could do it anywhere. Mm-hmm. I could take it and do it anywhere. And so now I've found myself in Tucson, Arizona, making single malt. And um, yeah, so it's an amazing opportunity and growing each day and learning new things. And yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. So you're from Jersey originally. Uh-huh. I'm yes. from Philly. That's oh, a, cool. What part of Jersey? You said it sounds like the coast. Uh, the distillery was in Cape May. Okay, cool. Yeah, my parents nice. are right outside of like Ocean City. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. in Avalon not too long oh, ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote some notes because I'm terrible at remembering things in the moment. But we talked about inspiration. Let's talk about uh, either one of you guys. I'll point it to Steven, but uh, Veronica, feel free to chime in at any point. Um, so we, you know, like we, we, we mentioned that with Isla Scotch or even just kind of some of those peated scotches, they typically fill like they, they do the malting process of, you know, letting the grain kind of grow a little bit and start to, you know, actually like grow as like a plant. And then they halt it off with some heat. And so originally, as you guys probably know that they didn't always have like wood or charcoal, or usually it was like you didn't have trees and, and charcoal was hard to find except for in certain parts of Scotland. So they use a lot of peat. And of course that brought smoke on the grain and bringing that into, um, you know, like bringing it into the whiskey itself, it shows up on the, on the final product, but you guys smoke your barley, but in a very special way. Could you guys, uh, help me out or help the listeners out of what that looks like for you guys? So, yeah, so, so, you know, once it's, once the barley has created the enzyme that will later turn starch to sugar and enable you to make, you know, alcohol, mm-hmm. um, you've, once it's created that enzyme, you've got to, you've got to stop the germination. Mm-hmm. And so in Scotland, you know, you, you do that with heat. And in Scotland, their fuel, uh, historically was peat. Um, and so knowing what mesquite does to, 
food when you cook over it is what kind of clicked in my wife's brain and you know that's why she thought you know came up with the idea she's the ideas woman it's the (laughs) i've always called her idea woman Uh um and so so yeah when we when it's time to dry the malt we build a mesquite fire in a burner box outside we pump that um heat and smoke up through the grain bed and and dry the malt with that Um, that's awesome and actually it's you know the first day is when is the only day that it takes two days to dry typically um and the first day we're using the smoke because it turns out that the smoke will not grab onto the barley when the outside of the husks are dry so that makes sense i guess yeah yeah. so when it's wet so it's when it's still wet on the outside Mm -hmm. that's the day that we're using the smoke so did you find that out the hard way? Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, but I, you know, it involved a bunch of reading and you know making mistakes and stuff like that. So that's so um, cool. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a very extensive, super cool process with the mesquite smoke, especially mm. here in Tucson, building a mesquite fire outside uh-huh. <laughs> in 110 degrees yes. in the oh, summer. Yeah. 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 My worry, honestly, when when someone handed me, someone gave this to me for my birthday, actually, um, the Dorado. And I was like, we'll see. You know, I've never heard. And in fact, I had heard. Actually, at that point, I was like, I've heard of them for one, that, that uh, distiller's cut I've had uh, about a year or two ago. Um, and I was like, is this going to taste like barbecue? Because I've had the, and I'm, I'm about to shame a little bit of another distillery, but um, the Wild Turkey Long Branch uh, with Matthew McConaughey, they, they don't smoke oh. the, the grain but they uh, filter through the smoked or the uh, charred uh, mesquite. And it was one of the worst uh, bourbon products I've ever had. Uh, so I was like, we'll see how this goes because I was expecting like almost like a barbecue, you know, because mostly, in, especially in Texas, they're going to use mesquite to, to make their brisket and stuff like that. But this was like, it's funny because this in no way breaks away from the uh, peat taste. That you can typically get. And it even might even be a little cleaner. And actually, Stephen, you were mentioning that basically one of the things happens with um, the finish you can get on this as opposed to peat. Yeah. So so with those heavily peated Isla scotches, um, you get that kind of iodine astringency on the finish. For sure. Some people characterize it as Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, as Adam used to. <laughs> yeah. And that's something I've never been fond of mm. myself. Um, I have friends who absolutely adore it. And obviously, the, a lot of the world adores yeah. those peated scotches. But mesquite, I find, is a lot softer on the palate. Mm. It doesn't give you that, um, that Band-Aid finish. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it evokes like a desert campfire. Or walking down, if you grew up in, you know, Tucson or Phoenix or mm-hmm. any Arizona town, walking through a neighborhood on a winter evening and smelling people's fireplaces. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's very, you know, it's, it's really an emotional, um, se- you know, a, an emotional sensation. Yeah. So yeah, it just brings memories. Yeah. You know? Um, we, uh, we, so, so we were, we were fortunate enough to get a little bit of a tour. Uh, me and my wife and my two friends uh, before, you know, we started up recording and, uh, you know, I'm walking around and and some of those who know me on the podcast, uh, 
some of our you know longtime listeners know that uh, I sometimes shame uh, small barrels, and uh, and I was kind of proven wrong today. And and for those who know me, I'm a pretty sincere guy. I I don't like to flatter people. Um, sometimes I like to put things nicely. Uh, but I was kind of blown away when I got here that you guys use about 15 gallon barrels. Uh, but there's a trick to that. Uh, from what I've from what I've found is that you just got to be on top of it. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm going to point this question to Veronica. Um, what does it look like for you guys with these barrels, uh, at least the 15 galloners? Because you were telling about like the aging process and how you got to be kind of on top of it. Yeah, yeah. So since we use 15 gallon barrels in Tucson, um, we're able to have the fast turnaround yeah. and yeah, make super great whiskey that tastes like it's been in barrel for years. I agree. But yeah, yeah, so without having it over oaked or anything, we just mm. get it out between 12 and 14 months. 14 months is like the max mm. in a barrel, but yeah, all about the timing and it being able to go through a full season in one day helps it. it you know, being yeah. in Tucson with the temperature change and everything yeah because it gets down like in the summer it'll get up to maybe 115 at the most here maybe maybe a little higher uh what does it get down to in the nights those type of days um it like during the early part of the summer when there's no humidity Mm -hmm. it'll get down to the 70s but then when the rainy season starts you know the low humid the low temp you know there's high humidity like you know keeping the more the the heat in the air yeah um and so it can be like unfortunately like some nights it'll just be 90. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So that's We get that in Phoenix too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even with that, I mean, that, for those, you know, who don't know, this is a, a huge thing. Like when you, like if you make a whiskey in Scotland versus Kentucky versus Texas, I mean, versus Tucson, uh, your barrel expansion and, and swelling and, and uh, whatever the uh, constricting um, very much can change how your aging goes and so i think i honestly mean it. you guys are nailing it on the age range like you've talked about a few barrels that have probably gone a little too long and you're like it's over oaked sometimes i i can say like they're it's almost like soapy it's just too much there uh on the oak side um but i've yet to taste anything you guys have that is over oaked uh purse i mean i've only had you know the classic the dorado the old pueblo the distiller's cut and uh what was it the the bat or the cash drink that i got to try the dorado recently um but you guys are you guys are doing great um here's a question so you talked about your love of single malts have you ever thought of bourbon no yeah. And tell me why. I'm curious. Well, because my wife and I were scotch drinkers mm-hmm. and I've, you know, I've never really been a bourbon drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you're probably aware most craft distilleries are doing a range of products. Yeah. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, we're one of only a handful in the country that are solely devoted to American single malts. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I just it, and early on I contemplated I felt like I should do like a vodka mm-hmm. that would be a quick turnaround and one yeah. of my mentors while I was doing my business plan said no, just stick with your vision. Yeah. Just do what you plan to do. And so, you know, I mean, so that yeah, that's why we just we're just devoted to single malts. I, um I, I would like to mention though that mm-hmm. Veronica has a, like a quite a range of um experience in other other spirits nice. um maybe you want to talk about a little bit about that yeah, yeah. so the distillery in new jersey um naughty spirits 
We were making our, uh, yeah, the original product was the vodka, which was made out of sweet potatoes that we oh, wow. grew on the farm. That's that so was cool. the distillery. <laughs> um, so sweet potatoes and corn for the vodka. Um, we made a gin, a wheat-based gin. Um, we did bourbon, all New Jersey grown. Um, we grew the corn at the distillery, um, but also rye and barley uh, and rum as well. So That's cool. the, yeah. Yeah, but I think at Dalbach, it's cool with, we'll get into the distiller's cut, but having bourbon finishing casts or like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. bourbon definitely brings a different element to it and sweetness and mm. everything. So it's fun to incorporate that a little into a single malt, but. And when yeah. she came over, I was a little worried that she would be bored here because <laughs> of the diversity of what she'd been doing. Yeah. Um. I'm not bored. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, when we were doing the tour, you know, you were saying that, you know, this malting process is so new to you. Mm -hmm. You know, this like getting the, the grain smoked is yeah. like a whole new thing for you. So I think that's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think we found that I like it so much because I came from a farm distillery. Mm -hmm. So it's like similar to the growing process and watching it. Yeah. The no, beginning to the end stage. No, yeah. That's so cool. How long were you at that? Uh, Three years. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's so sweet. Four years total so far distilling and yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I so was it the uh, opening, was there like an opening here that you, you took? Oh, yeah. Or, so yeah. it wasn't like, I want to move to Tucson. What's the opportunity No, here? no. I kind of was looking for a new job mm -hmm. and yeah, this one popped up and I, Stephen flew me out to see it and nice. yeah, it was 107 that day and I didn't mind. So <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. And it's, yeah, definitely wildly different than anything I'm used to, mm -hmm. but um, beautiful. It's like definitely breathtaking every day, yeah. even driving with the mountains all around you. Uh -huh. and yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. So. I, I really respect, like you, you were saying, uh, Stephen, with um, not really going in the bourbon realm, not going in the gin or, you know, you know, fake tequila or, uh, you know, rum or anything like that. I think there, there's something impressive about someone who knows what they want to do and sticks to it. I think um, with, uh, you know, if you were, yeah, even a vodka, you know, which is one of the simplest things you could make. Uh, I, I respect that because you you stick to, you know, what you always had in mind. And I think you could probably sell a lot of vodka if you wanted to. But to be honest, I go to a lot of micro distilleries and I'm like, I feel like they're not taking the whiskey seriously mm. even when they are a whiskey distillery that makes gin mm -hmm. that makes vodka and not to not to bash any sort of micro distilleries that do that too much but i think it shows in your product that you are committed to single malts mm. american single malt um yeah so I, I would be yeah. i would actually be nervous if we if we because like, <laughs> i've never done it before like unfortunately you know i'd have someone to lean on here mm -hmm. in veronica but but yeah no i i just um and, you know, so so focusing on one thing is an advantage, though, too. Yeah. Like, I think that's probably why, you know, we're, we're making pretty good whiskey because of that focus. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just I mean, another thing, just I, I appreciate your guys attention to detail. And I think it really spawns for whatever the phrase is from that that love for single malt. And uh, yeah, I can only think of a few maybe like Stranahan's or a few others in the, in the country that do just single malt. Um, so yeah, West there's Westward is a oh, really good right. one. Mm -hmm. Westland is pretty, 
probably the best known one up uh-huh. in Seattle. Okay. And they're making really good single malt whiskey mm-hmm. too. But yeah, there aren't aren't very many. Yeah. Yeah. And do they use charred barrels? I'm curious. Do you know? They do. Okay. Cool. Um, they're doing some cool things. Uh, kind of re- other. They also are doing some regional things like we are. Mm-hmm. Um, including using um, they're di- they don't malt their own barley, but they're digging up uh, Washington peat. Oh, cool! Sending that peat off to to a a malt house and having it uh, dried over Washington peat, which oh, is no really way. cool. And they're also using some oak, some native oak called Garyana oak. Oh, no way! Up there for some barrels and yeah. So you know, there there's a ton of creativity going on mm-hmm. um, in craft distilling in general, uh, but also, but specifically in the in the American single malt um, space. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you got something to work with there. And and there are good things to bourbon laws and bourbon rules, but I think you're given a little bit more license here in the single malt territory as well. You know, you look at even scotches, and they have their rules for sure, but you can get, you know, a very different scotch going from Talisker to, you know, Glen Grant or something like that. You're just getting a whole different product. I think mm-hmm. that's something cool that could even happen yeah. here in the U.S. Which yeah, there cool. I would... I don't know if you are you aware of the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission. Uh, I'm not super familiar, but I'm not surprised there is such. Yeah, a Yeah. So a couple of years ago, actually, the guys at Westland uh, mm-hmm. kind of have been spearheading this, um, and um, because you know there's not a lot of awareness uh, in the consuming public in this in America mm-hmm. for si- American single malts, um, and so now. Um, there are like 140 or so distilleries in the country that are making single malt. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and th- that are signed up on the commission. Oh, that's And cool. so the goal is to, you know, elevate the public's awareness uh, for the category. And also, w- we are not recognized, uh, so American single malts are not a recognized category by the TTB, mm-hmm. um, w- which will change. Uh-huh. We're a- actively, um, you know, lobbying to get that designation, uh-huh. but we're kind of, rogue in that sense too Um, yeah that's pretty cool would you ever uh be down for some sort of standardization similar to like the laws that are in effect for bourbon yeah so there is uh some kind of basic standards Mm. that the that you have to commit to if you want to join the american single malt whiskey commission like that um and so you know 100 percent barley malt mash bill Mm -hmm. which is you know kind of one of the things that defines a single malt Mm -hmm. and then all made in a single distillery so no sourcing of outside you know whiskey but um and there's a couple of others but it's but you're we're allowed unlike bourbon we're allowed to use uh used casks Mm -hmm. um yeah we're we're doing we're using uh used casks for our distiller's cut Mm -hmm. um so, so there, it's a little looser than scotch, yeah. uh, in, in that regard, um, and looser than bourbon in some regards as well. That's cool. No, I like that. Um, I guess at this point in time, I don't want to take too long. So, why don't we uh, actually, if you guys would help me out, what? So, we're drinking today, um, the Delbach uh, Distillers Cut, specifically which uh, iteration number? Fall twenty twenty. Fall twenty twenty. Yep. Um, so how often do you guys put these out? Usually three times a year. Okay, cool. Last, uh, so in 2020, we, this is the first one, isn't it? Yeah. Jeez. Nice. You know, partly because of COVID mm. and some other, you know, issues, but, um, but yeah, so usually it's two to three times a year. We, we usually do it, excuse me. And this year we will do, um, 
our traditional uh, um, release uh, of winter release. Um, okay. And that's always an extra smoky oh, nice. whiskey. And we always release that only out of the distillery and only and we start on the on the first saturday of of december oh cool typically yeah yeah if i i I read the website a little bit on this specific release and it said Mm -hmm. it was a mixture of the dorado uh like uh aged juice i imagine and then with the uh classic i assume Mm -hmm. is that right yeah majority dorado with a touch of classic What, what what made that decision i guess um, kind of like with all the specialty barrels, there's so many filled, but kind of mm. what's ready, what's coming of age, what mm. tastes the best. This, yeah, and I mean, we'll taste in a second, but I think is wonderfully fall mm-hmm. and it definitely brings out what you'd want in the, when the nights start to get cold and, you know, so. Um, excited. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of what was ready to go and it blended wonderfully together. So, nice. Yeah. And tell yeah. tell tell us what casks we used. Yeah, so the mesquite, the dorado, was finished in um, extra anejo casks, nice, as well as a bourbon cast. Okay, so yeah. uh, which one first? Or was um, it was two it, different? Okay, yeah, two yeah, separate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was two like separate the dorado in one and the classic? Was in no, the, okay. the to both of the uh, extra anejo and the bourbon were filled with the dorado. Okay, cool. Yeah, the classic was kind of just like a after, I not an afterthought, but a, yeah, yeah. So. And so our, our distiller's cut, the whole goal behind releasing our, uh, our a distiller's cut mm-hmm. uh, series is, um, is to, ex- to showcase how great a cast strength American single malt whiskey can be. Mm-hmm. And so they're all always different. Yeah. Um, and, um, and yeah, just Veron- this is Veronica's first, first distiller's cut blend. Nice. And she just really nailed it. Oh, that's awesome. And what's the proof on this guy? 114.5. Okay, cool. That's killer. Why don't we... Would you hand that to him? Just uh-huh. We should have given you a bottle oh, to no, look at while we're talking. Yeah, I'll take a peek. So, yeah, we got a 114. So this is... Uh, when we're, you know, I mean, they're all the same, but this is exciting. I, I love a, a 798 uh, bottle batch. Yeah. And how... Do you guys sell out of this pretty fast? Yeah, we've sold. So Quench is our Arizona distributor, uh-huh. so we gave them a bunch. We released, I think, just a you know a few small cases to about three other markets: New York, Texas, and California. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, I think, a hundred and seventy bottles or something out of that we were going to sell out of here. Uh-huh. We're sold out. Oh, that's but great. I, I, yeah, we've got like one or two left. Oh, <laughs> so, and they set one aside for me. That's so correct. I really, I was gonna, I, yeah, yeah I, I reached out to Steven <laughs> on Instagram. I was like, hey. If you got any more, I'll take one. You know, so, um, so yeah, let's let's uh, we nose it up. And and I've I've explained to you guys we typically you know get a little bit of notes on the nose, on the palate, on the finish, uh, but also um, we add water and a little bit of ice just in case. So if you guys need a little more uh, when we add water or ice, let me know. And I'll hand it over. Really nice black label, really classy bottle too. That's just my opinion. Ooh. So before I even got any smoke, I almost got like a brown sugary uh, mm-hmm. smell. Yep. And uh, any, yeah. anything you guys catch every time you smell this? Kind of get, I get like leather. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <sighs> yeah I think brown sugar brulee, I believe is yeah. on that's the, right, yeah. the label. Yeah, that I like, say yeah, that. yeah I, that was one of my initial tasting notes. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, I that could like very much cooked agree. sugar that, yeah, and it, oh. 
Yeah. Yeah. Almost baking spice, mm-hmm. but like the darker. Yeah. There, there is a reminiscence of that fall to winter um, transition, especially in Jersey or you know where I grew up in Philadelphia. Yeah. I, I, I've never, you know, there's not much of a transition in Arizona, or at least in this part of Arizona, uh, from from fall to winter. It's kind of mm-hmm. like you get like fall for like a few days and then it's like suddenly like really nice uh, as opposed to other places in the country where yeah. it's all of a sudden really cold we'll yeah. see if you grew up here i i, I think we have eight seasons uh-huh. so it may, it'll take you a while maybe uh-huh. but um <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get acclimated this and be like ah yes it is midwinter yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um you said tequila and bourbon mm-hmm. right yeah man yeah yeah, there's a lot going on there. I would say one of the most complex noses, yeah. on it, especially American single malt that I've had. Let's see. And Veronica, how many how many different blends did you try roughly before you settled on this? Fifteen to twenty. I don't know. I mm-hmm. like lost count, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, really? it was yeah. And then getting trying to get opinions and back and forth and yeah. This so yeah, it's it's not e- so mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot that goes on before before yeah. it goes into the bottle. Now, did you um, <laughs> did you like line them up on a table and you're like a little sip of each one? I, I always wonder how you know how oh, yeah. do it. Yeah, well, it took there's... some. It, you didn't do it all at once. That's the thing. no. Like, it was over a few weeks. Um, a lot of opinions. Um, but yeah, taking a little sample of each barrel that you have mm. and then blending proportion how much of this one how much of that one mm. and then how do we add water but in this case we didn't add any water mm-hmm. um but yeah and then back and forth in your head yeah. is it the you know should i go with this or should i go with this and but and yeah super happy with the final product mm. and it definitely has a lot going on but wonderful together yeah. and a nice round yeah yeah, yeah. i agree so you do get you get smoke on the nose, and mm-hmm. then you do get smoke on the palate as yeah. well. But then underneath that, there's so much, like she said, so much complexity. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. I um, I got this like uh, mental image when I first sipped this. You know when you like watch the movies about like nuclear explosions, and you <laughs> first see the flash. Yeah. And then it like fades, and then you all of a sudden see this like mushroom cloud. This is gonna sound really dumb. Um, but it was like the flash was sweet to me. It wasn't huh. smoke. And then yeah. it was like all of a sudden this, this warm yeah. smokiness mm-hmm. came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, that's, that was, I mean, glad I got a bottle of this now. <laughs> yeah, <that'll, clears throat> yeah. That, uh, that description may go down in the lexicon of, uh, mm-hmm. whiskey tasting, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the old nuclear, the nuclear. Uh, transition. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Uh, even the finish. Yeah. I think. I don't know where the tequila barrels are hitting into here, but I know they're in there somewhere. Like, right. I know they're, like, Yeah, I think that, yeah, also way. helped with the blend, like, without overthinking tequila or mm. taking away what I knew or thought about yeah. tequila. Mm-hmm. It definitely just, I think it's, like, the finish, it rounds out on the finish. Yeah. And, yeah, and these there, were Anejo casts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Extra Anejo, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I gotta admit, like I've said this before, I think on the podcast, is that one of the one of the smoothest liquors I ever had was Avion Forty Four, a forty four month uh, tequila, and it is just so smooth. And I think like a little bit of that, those hints of uh, just like that smoothness. And we've talked about the word smooth on the podcast. It's not a not the easiest word to to make sense, but uh, this is like 
beautifully. Um, just just goes right down the throat. Yeah, yeah. Round. I like to. Yeah, yeah I yeah. like to think in colors and shapes yeah. when I'm blending mm-hmm. as well. And if it, yeah, is yeah, that's definitely a part of the blending. If mm-hmm. it was a angry finish or a sharp finish, mm-hmm. you know, and this a little bit of this, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna add a little water. Okay. Have you tried it? I'm sure you've tried it with a little water. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Have you tried it with ice? No. This will be I a have. first, right? Yeah. Especially for a um, for a cast strength, uh, it might might change things up quite a bit. Yeah. Who knows? It might be better. We <laughs> yeah. tried uh, a few recently that were like better with ice, yeah. and I hate to say it, um, one of them was like an antique collection recently, a Buffalo Trace antique collection oh. bottle, and I was like, I hate to say it, this is so much better with ice. Yeah. Yeah, you so, know we um, you probably are the same way, but we mm. don't we don't um, tell people you have to drink it neat. Oh, for like, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's like Whatever however works. you want to drink your whiskey is really you know however it tastes good to you is is the way. Yeah, and like you said, some sometimes it'll be ice, sometimes it'll be a few drops of water, mm-hmm. sometimes it'll be neat. You know. Yeah. No, it, you know, and that's the thing about whiskey is you can be a snob and say there's only one way to drink it. Or you could just enjoy it the best way you can enjoy yeah, it, yeah. which is right. great. Yeah, I think some of the the vapors of you know kind of the alcohol show up a little more uh, with a little bit of water for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. it smooths out or not smooths out. It like uh, stretches out the brightness of the nose notes I was getting earlier. Yeah, a little sharper. Boy, and on the palate, I get a more sweetness and more smoke. Yeah, I gotta try this now. Yeah. The smoke showed up later. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It took until I swallowed it to where the smoke was just like, here I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even get any smoke before that point. Yeah. I think that's impressive. There was no, the the uh, nuclear transition was a little slower on this one, <laughs> but I dig it. Yeah. I would say kind of the same notes, that brown sugary, that the, the brown sugar brulee, uh-huh. that smoke is perfectly balanced. This is, yeah. so... Uh, me and my friend Marco, we have tried a few whiskeys lately and, um, we agreed to disagree on the level of sweetness that a bourbon should have, for example. Um, and, uh, and I am a sweet fanatic. I love, like even Ardbeg Corvrecken has a beautiful blend of sweetness and the peat. This is sweet forward to me. Mm. Um, and that's why I love it so much. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like we disagreed in the beginning. Uh-huh. You were, yeah, with the description. Yeah. It was all smoke. But I, yeah, got so much sweetness yeah. off it. But yeah, but then mm-hmm. together in the end, it's both. And yeah. yeah. And it, it's like yeah. they're overlapping in a beautiful way. Yeah. I'm going to pour a little bit more so I can and we actually dilute too much. We actually both have sweet tooths. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. we do. Yeah. <laughs> that's me. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little bit of ice in here. Feel free to join me if you yeah. want. We got a little boom. Let me pick the one. Give it a little swirly swirl. Uh, do you guys chill filter? We don't love it. We don't <laughs> love it. Uh, hey, that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> uh, I know. So why did you name it? Why did you name your podcast so, Chill Filter? So it's a, it's a really good question because we get that a lot. Because people can very much not, I wouldn't say hate on the chill filtration process, um, but I love, yeah, because I think you caught in me like, great, I'm glad you guys didn't chill filter <laughs> um, because I, I think there's so much that can show up on, you know, the typically those fatty acids and, and those, those kind of things that 
people will try to filter out um, can be fantastic additions to a good whiskey. Um, the answer to that, and, and our listeners, this is probably the first time they're learning this, is that that was an Adam choice. Uh, my original co-host, Adam, uh, he was looking up names that were related to Because the original story of the beginning of the podcast was that it was going to be a My Fair Lady experience where I was very familiar with whiskey and Adam was learning about whiskey. And, uh, and I wanted to make him a proper whiskey gentleman. And, uh, and so he was like, he was the podcaster at the time. And I was just the bartender slash whiskey, you know, blog writer. And he started looking up names of, he's like, I'm going to start this podcast and I'm going to get Cole involved. And so he looked up names or like phrases that are known in the whiskey world and Chill Filtered was one of them. And he's like, that seems, sounds like a really good name for it's a podcast. It's a cool name. It's a cool <laughs> yeah. name. It works out because we're pretty chill. You yeah. Know? yeah. And, um, but that's, that's the origination. Uh-huh. And sometimes we still get that of like, why would you call it that if that's not a popular uh, methodology of, <laughs> in the whiskey world? Um, well, yeah. So, so, one of, so the reason we don't chill filter mm-hmm. is for, for, to keep flavor. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the downside to not chill filtering and, and many, many, uh, whiskeys are not chill filtering now, sure. and even scotches are choosing not to chill oh, yeah. filter. Um, but the downside can be that it starts to degrade in the glass with too much um, too much air going over it, mm-hmm. or too if it's too um, warm. Yeah. Um, and so we actually, Veronica and I are going to do it. We we tr- did a dry run on this, but uh, we have to do a real one now. Uh, a a little video on. Um, you know what is chill filtering? What mm-hmm. is the what are the lipids and the the, the fatty acids mm-hmm. and what is all that about? So yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do that coming up here. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I you know I and then the funny thing is when you typically you can tell typically if something's chill filtered if you see a lot of swirlies when you add ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old mm-hmm. technical term swirlies. Right. Um, <laughs> Whoa, that's good. Yeah. I'm I'm ready. So the nose, I gotta admit, is is pretty similar. A little more smoky um, on the like yeah. the nose notes uh, than I was getting on the other ones. Yeah. Um, but it makes the glass colder, which is crazy. Yeah, the cold ha- is kind of charming mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. Reminds you of a brisk fall to winter transition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not not bad. I I think I prefer it neat. Um, yeah, but. Sometimes with even like decent uh, whiskeys, you can typically get a little bitterness mm-hmm. uh, when you add ice. Not at all here. Mm-hmm. It just just kind of transitions and fades into this sweet, sugary, a uh, little bit of smoky, especially at the finish. Uh, I I love it. I mean, would I maybe on a really hot day pour a little ice in here? Uh, but typically, I think I just go with a cast strength, you know, love that. Uh, but it's not bad at all. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity. Were you nervous about this, oh, Veronica? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Super nervous. Because yeah. you're proofing it down, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, can... but even just like releasing the blend in the beginning, I was like, no one's going to like it. It's not going to be good. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. My goodness, but, this is fantastic. Yeah. No, it's awesome to see. The reaction of people and what they think and yeah i think the balance of the sweet and the smoke helps yeah. round it out and get to more people so yeah yeah happy with it yeah i gotta admit 
I am glad I get a bottle of this and glad I get the opportunity to purchase one of these because um, sadly, most of our listeners won't be able to do that. <laughs> so this is one of those episodes where we are just teasing our listeners. But listeners, keep in mind that Veronica and Steven are doing great work and maybe you should think about coming down to Tucson and uh, grabbing yourself at least one of their standards. But if you're ever in Tucson when they're doing one of their distiller's cuts, grab one. Or if you ever were hanging out with me, hopefully I'll slowly sip away at this bottle for your sake. And it is, it, it'll be on, the distiller's cut goes on to retail shelves too. Okay, cool. So it'll in, be, so it'll be out. It's probably out now, yeah. I think. I um, think I've, I, I saw Liquor Express had something in okay, Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, they, they were posting about it. Yeah. So how far do you guys reach so far? Well, uh, we're in 17 states, but. Um, really? Oh, yeah, wow. but um, as far as the distiller's cut goes, just Arizona, Texas. California and New York. That's a lot bigger than I thought, too. Mm. So, do you know if Idaho's on that list of seventeen? No, we. I think we're. I think Idaho's a control state. It is okay, yeah. and so I think we've sent to like a guess a dude ranch up there or something. Mm-hmm. But but it's we don't have a distributor there. So I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's good to know. So no, yeah, uh, listeners out there, is it is it is it all over the country? Or is it mostly like west of the Mississippi? Um, it's really more east. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, so out west, we're just in Texas, Arizona, and California. Okay, yeah, everything else is back east. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, our East Coast listeners, grab a bottle of at least. Um, the Dorado. In terms of the uh, the standard lineup, for the record, there's the classic, there's the Dorado, and then there's the Old Pueblo. The classic is unpeated or unmesquited, uh, so not smoky at all, and it and it reminds me a lot of um, really developed Highlander Speyside. Uh I gotta admit, this reminds me a little bit of Glendronach, but this isn't uh, even barrel or like finished in any sort of uh, sherry or anything like that. So it's really impressive. Uh, the Dorado, we've we've done an episode a few episodes ago on that, and high ratings, plus nine. Uh, and then the Old Pueblo is a really uh, impressive, smoked, unaged whiskey. Uh, so check that one out if you are in a state that, that sells Del Bach. Uh, but uh, hopefully we'll be getting it to all states eventually. Yeah. Yeah, that's a ways down the road. We're gonna, mm. we're gonna really focus on our Arizona, yeah, um, for for a while because we've got a lot of room to grow, yeah, uh, sales wise in Arizona for sure. No, I I will be uh, <clears throat> repping you guys left and right because honestly, I mean this. I'm not gonna say this to the next uh, American single malt that I come across that this is the best American single malt I've ever had. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and I've. I mean, I boast at this point probably 700 plus whiskeys I've ever tried. Wow. And so this is very good. Not American single malts I've ever tried, but I've had a good amount, even on the podcast. And this is, this takes the cake for sure, especially the Dorado. Uh, I got to admit, the, I don't know what I'd pick between the distiller's cut and that 122 proofer I have oh, at yeah. home of the uh, total wine um, barrel oh, pick. The single barrel, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. So good. <laughs> so was that. How many was that? How many barrels was that? One, just one barrel, yeah, yeah, one yeah. fifteen-gallon barrel. Uh-huh, only wow, I, am, I feel blessed yeah. to even have gotten one of them. How many? How many bottles do you think went out of that? Sixty-eight. What? That's it. Sixty. Okay, six I'm gonna grab the other one yeah. that I saw at Total Wine yesterday, <laughs> and think uh, that happened because yeah. it is so good. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, I'm gonna wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Veronica, for uh, for you know being part of this podcast, and th- thank you so much, Stephen. 
Uh, again, listeners, if you see this bottle on a shelf, especially the Dorado, the classic is fantastic. If you see the Old Pueblo and you're really into smoky whiskey and you want to try an uh, aged whiskey, this is probably uh, unaged whiskey. This is probably one of the best options you could have in that realm, if not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to feel bad for the next American single malt, uh, uh, distillery that I come across. I'd be like, this is really good. Um, but yeah, uh, listeners check them out. Uh, whiskey Del Bach out of Tucson, Arizona. Thank you again, Steven. Thank, Thank you, you again, Veronica. Thank you. Um, this has been a pleasure and, that was fun. uh, yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, I hope that you guys had a good time. I hope that, uh, our listeners enjoyed everything, but most of all listeners, I hope that our love of spirits lifted yours.